Holy Spirit, today we don't want to move on. Uh, we want to tap into what you're doing. And today we don't want these just to be numbers. We don't want these to be statistics that have no emotional resonance. God, these are faces. These are people. These are mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers. These are sons and daughters. God, these are your children. And I pray before we do any talk about what we can do, about what we can pray, about your heart for this moment, I pray that we would, first of all, just feel the ache. Feel the ache of your broken heart. Feel the ache of loss in our world. That these people were so precious to you. Their lives were taken, and it matters. It means something. So today, I pray as we read these names, let there be an emotional connection of our hearts to this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm just going to read down the list. Roberta A. Drury, and just say it out loud with me. Margus D. Morrison. Andre McNeil, Aaron Salter, Geraldine Talley, Celestine Cheney, Hayward Patterson, Catherine Macy, Pearl Young, Ruth Whitfield, John Chang, McKenna Lee Elrod, Layla Salazar, Miranda Mathis, Nevea Bravo, Jose Manuel Flores Jr., Javier Lopez, Tess Marie Mata, Rogelio Torres, Eliana Eli Amya Garcia, Eliana A. Torres, Annabelle Guadalupe Rodriguez, Jackie Cazares, Uzea Garcia, Jace Carmelo Luevanos, Maite Juliana Rodriguez, Jayla Nicole Silguero, Irma Garcia, Eva Morales, Amory Joe Garza, Alexandria Lexi Anaya Rubio, and Alethea Ramirez. You guys could take your seat. Just want to read a few statistics about why this is important. 100 people are killed by guns in the U.S. every single day. Not every month, not every year. Every single day, 100 people are killed in the U.S. by guns. And 12 of them are children that die from gun violence every single day. In 2020, is staggering because guns actually became the leading cause of death in children. More than... At the time before that, it was car accidents. But now the leading death of children in the year 2020 is guns, gun violence. Since Sandy Hook in 2012, if you remember, that was a big cultural moment for us. There have been 950 school shootings since then in the 10 years, a little under 10 years. And this year alone, there's already been 27 school shootings. Isn't that crazy to think this year alone, already 27 They say since Columbine in 1999, 336,000 students have experienced gun violence in school. And so they grew up with the trauma of having to survive mass shootings or know people that that have been killed because of gun violence. 
They say the common ages of an active shooter are 17 and 18. So we know it's, it's, more, it's a deeper problem. And they say the U.S. is only 4% of the world's population, yet owns 40 to 50% of the world's privately owned guns. It's crazy. And I read these statistics because I think sometimes in church we like to just over-spiritualize things. But faith actually causes us to lean into the reality. And I read the numbers because there is a reality that we have to face, that there is an American idol that, that we are unwilling to give up. And it's coming at the cost of lives. And I think unless we as the church are willing to reckon with that, to recognize it, to acknowledge it, and to repent, we're not going to see change. And I think the, the moment and this cultural moment, what God is calling the church to do and to be is to face the facts and to say something better and to do something better. And, you know, when I heard the news about the school shooting this past week, I was actually out of town with some of my best friends. We were on a trip, and we were having a lot of fun. And I just remember pulling up Instagram and just seeing the news. And when I, at the time, they, they only estimated that 14 children had been shot, but now the number is 19 children that are dead and two adults. And I remember reading this, and the first thing that I could think of was just Zion, my son. You know, I used to... Um, this isn't to minimize what you're experiencing, but, but there is something different that I felt this time. I think we all understand that we want to do better for the generations after us, but as soon as I read about this school shooting, I kept thinking, what, what am I going to tell my son when he grows up? Like in this moment, what, what did I do? What did I fight for? What did I want to change? And I remember it just grieved my heart to think this is the reality he's going to know. And I was talking with my friends. We, you know, we're gen, we're millennials. So we grew up in the time where all we had to do at school were earthquake drills, right, here in California. But now to think that Zion's going to grow up going to school and he's going to have to go through drills where mass shootings are involved, where gun violence is involved, it just broke my heart. And it just made me think no child should ever have to go through this. And so there is in the gap a place that God is calling church to be. And it's to do more than just pray. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But we talked a few weeks ago about how the past has a way of repeating itself unless it's addressed. And in in a way that there are generational curses as well as generational brokenness as well as generational blessings that are passed on. The question that I feel like God is asking us today are, what will we be able to say to our children and our children's children about how we responded in this moment? You know, I read so many accounts of people in the church during the time of slavery that when slavery was finally abolished and, you know, they were recounting the stories of what it was like to grow up in that era, how they felt. And majority of the believers say they lived with an inconsolable amount of grief and regret that they didn't do more, that they didn't fight, that they didn't speak up. And I think, I wonder if decades from now, if we will have the peace to say, I did everything that I could so that our children and our children's children don't grow up in this reality. And so there are three things that I want us to practice today that I believe God is calling us to. The first is to lament. And this is actually really in line with our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Collection because we are called to lament. And we are praying this morning with the team, and Josh kept getting this word, mourning. And what he, the word that he got was God wants to enter us into mourning, but he wants us to mourn right. 
He wants us to mourn correctly before God. I read this uh, quote a while back. Nicholas Wolterstorff, he was lamenting the death of his son. So this is fresh off the death of his son. And this is what he wrote about mourning and grief. He said this, The mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, who ache with all their being for that day's coming, and who break out into tears when confronted with its absence. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm of peace, there is neither death nor tears, and who ache whenever they see someone crying tears over death. The mourners are aching visionaries. In other words, when we mourn, when we lament, it's not, it's not hopeless grieving. We're actually telling through our tears a day of God's future promise that there will be no more tears. That when God comes again, there will be no more pain. There will be no more mass shooting that we have to mourn or grieve over. There will be no more hurt. There will be no more tears that we have to catch. He's saying when we cry tears of lament right now, we're prophesying of that day one day coming. See, our mourning is a form of prayer. And I think we have to realize that here in the church, we actually need to do a lot more mourning because mourning is a form of prayer that no other form of prayer can capture. It's more than just loud intercession. It's more than just praying requests. Mourning is a form of of prayer that captures the heart of God. It's a holy lament, a sacred aching for that coming day where there will be no more tears. Another way to look at it, it's a prophetic protest against the way things are. When we mourn, we're saying through our tears, this is not okay. This is not what God intended. This is not what God wants. And so as I mourn, I'm saying this is a protest of the way things are, declaring how things should be. Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite theologians, he says, the weepers in their weeping said, we will not be silent. We will not swallow our tears. We will tell the truth about loss. I think we need to tell the truth about loss. We need to lament. We need to mourn. We need to tell the truth about the way things are and the way that things God, the way God has called things to be. And so the first thing we're going to do today is we're going to lament. The second thing is we're going to pray. And I think this is the one distinguishing thing about the church is that we're not just fighting this alone. We're not just doing this alone. We believe in a God who does not turn a blind eye to human suffering. I think uh, one, one of my favorite pastors, he says something along the lines is, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And I think one thing that God calls the church to do in this hour is to pray, is to say, God, we need you. We need you in this. It's more than we can change. It's more than we can handle. We need a divine intervention for you to come and to make things right. And I think prayer is our way of joining in with the divine. But I think this is where a lot of believers stop. Is we pray and we just kind of release it to God and that's it. But the last thing I want us to highlight is we're going to lament, we're going to pray, but we're also going to act. We're going to do something. How many of you know that thoughts and prayers aren't enough? And they used to be enough 10 years ago because every church used to just post thoughts and prayers. But it's not enough anymore. It's never been enough. And I think Christians, unfortunately, have the biggest cop-out in the world in the form of prayer. It's like it's enough for us to pray something without actually doing anything. And I think sometimes prayer becomes this excuse to relinquish our responsibility to our world. I've prayed, and now it's all up to you, God. But this isn't what God calls the church to be, to be people that pray and resign from what's going on in the world. Hear me, prayer isn't resignation, it's participation. 
And so your kingdom come, your will be done, yes, God, but through me, that's the prayer. Our prayers aren't just meant to be prayed. They're meant to be lived and embodied. We are, in a sense, to become the answers to our own prayers. And I think too often we place all the responsibility upon God to do what he's actually called and empowered us as the church to do. You know, we could pray all we want for peace and justice, but if we don't step out and do something, we're only solving half the equation. God calls us to pray, yes, but he calls us to do more than pray. He calls us to embody the prayers that we're praying. 99, I pray that we wouldn't just be a people who pray our prayers. I pray that we would become a people who live and embody our prayers. This is what we're going after today. Frederick Douglass, he said this, I prayed for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. And I think there's something powerful, inspirational about Frederick Douglass saying that, especially the life that he lived. And I think for us, we have to do more than pray. We have to embody the prayers that we're praying. Hey, God, um, thank you for this time that we can just pause for a second and just process and lament and pray, as well as be inspired and um, convicted to move in action. I pray this time of even just naming our feelings, even just naming what's going on inside of us, I pray that it did something. That even it might be the start of something you're doing in our, in our lives, in our group, in our community. And I pray that we continue to lean in. God, please, please, God, keep us from looking away. I pray that we would not look away in this moment. I pray that we wouldn't become numb or apathetic to everything happening in our world. Help us lean in in this moment. Help us continue to lean in, however uncomfortable or confusing it might be. And I just pray, Lord, that we would become those aching visionaries who through our tears and through our mourning are prophesying a better day, a day where you come and make all things right. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and continue to move in our community? I thank you that you're doing it. And would you raise up the church in this hour to be the prophetic voice for a better world, a better way? We pray we would choose the way of love over everything else, more than our rights. I pray that we would choose the way of love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.